Good morning. Welcome to the First Universalist Unitarian Church. My name is Brian Mason. I serve this church as its minister. I want to extend a special welcome to everyone joining us online this morning. I'm grateful to be joined in this sanctuary by Margaret Jurors and Wendy Galbraith and Donica. Since 1870, this church has served as a vital voice for liberal religion here in central Wisconsin. We are an intentionally free society that welcomes all people just as you are, regardless of age, sexual orientation, gender expression, ethnicity, or economic situation. Wherever you are on life's journey, I hope that you know that you are welcome here. As you all probably are aware by now, we are currently worshiping online only, so be sure to subscribe to the church's newsletter or follow us on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or whatever else Donica has set up for updates. And with that, let us gather our hearts and minds for worship. Please join me in reciting our church's chalice lighting. And if you're following along at home, the order of service details it. The words go, we light this chalice for the light of truth, the warmth of love, and the fire of commitment. We light this symbol of our faith as we gather together. You're welcome to join wherever you are in singing our opening hymn. friends, wherever you are, I encourage you to stop for just a moment. If you're at home, find a comfortable spot to sit down. 
and join me in a spirit of prayer and meditation. Spirit of life, our light and light of the world, though you shine brighter than brightest day, too many people still live in shadows cast by the brokenness of the world. We pray for children whose voices cry out in hunger and pain from abuse and fear and loneliness from the absence of a parent. We pray for our elders who cannot speak, whose words are lost to stroke or disease, whose voices are stilled in solitude and loss. We pray for neighbors on the street outside and here among us who live with heartache and with grief for all who have forgotten how to hope. We pray for a world that is filled with sorrow. We pray that every hurt and anger might be transfigured into joy. Now let us call to mind the joys and sorrows in our lives, and let us meditate on them in silence together now. Amen.
This morning's reading is a poem entitled The Quiet World by Jeffrey McDaniel. And the poet writes, In an effort to get people to look into each other's eyes more, and also to appease the mutes, the government has decided to allot each person exactly 167 words per day. When the phone rings, I put it to my ear without saying hello. In the restaurant, I point at chicken noodle soup. I am adjusting well to the new way. Late at night, I call my long-distance lover, proudly say I only used 59 today. I saved the rest for you. When she doesn't respond, I know she used up all her words, so I slowly whisper, I love you 32 and a third times. After that, we just sit on the line and listen to each other breathe. There ends our reading. There's an ancient Buddhist prayer I want to pray with all of you this morning. It goes like this. And now, as long as space endures, as long as there are beings to be found, may I continue likewise to remain, to drive away the sorrows of the world. This past week, I attended a lecture online hosted by the seminary I went to. The speaker, Dion Johnson, Bishop of the Episcopal Diocese of Missouri, he started with these words. There's no going back to pre-pandemic church. It's gone. This hybrid world is all that remains. If he weren't talking to budding ministers and academics, I expect he would have said there's no going back to pre-pandemic anything. Because of this new way of living, he suggested that all of us should start practicing the age-old and difficult task of letting go. 
We have to learn to let go and trust ourselves in the hard, painful process of labor as we, alone and together, give birth to new ways of living and relationship. This is far easier said than done. I've been to a lot of lectures and read some essays filled with clever words presented in clever ways. They're inspiring, and so for a while we meditate or eat better, but most of us taper off. After all, science says 92% of all New Year's resolutions fail due to a lack of self-discipline. We've all felt a love buzz wear off. Soon the old bedfellows, doubt or anxiety or aggression creep back in. Our thinking gets cloudy, sleep gets harder. And when this happens, and it happens, learning to love a rapidly changing world on fire with pandemic, natural and man-made disasters and political circuses is pretty hard. For those of you who are runners, you're familiar with the phrase hitting the wall. It's that point in a race when you bottom out and just sort of stop. You try and will yourself to the finish, and sometimes you can limp along to the end, but many a runner has had to stop. There's a scientific reason for this. Most people store about 2,000 calories in our liver and muscles, and as we run, we burn about 100 calories for every mile we go. So in a marathon, by the time you get to mile 18 or so, you basically run out of fuel. Seasoned runners are well aware of this feeling, and so they know that the last few miles are often the worst. You're tired, your feet and legs are killing you. You know the finish line is just a short trot away. And there are some people that are able to grind it out, but many people just peel off. Even some of the most highly skilled athletes in the world have hit the wall. Everyone's human, after all. But if you're alive in 2021, you're not running a marathon with a well-marked finish line. The race we've been running is more than a year old, and the end is still unknown. Headlines about a vaccine and a new presidential administration have given way to confusion, sloppy rollouts, and the reality that even the most powerful person in the richest and most powerful nation in the world cannot solve all of our problems. All those hearts and windows, all those concerts from celebrities' living rooms, Zoom cocktail hours, they've lost their novelty. So let's face it, we've hit the wall. My wife shared with me an article about a survey conducted by the National Center of Health Statistics, and it shows that more than 41% of Americans now show signs of anxiety or depression, which is nearly 10 points higher than when they last conducted this same survey just a few months ago in May. Anxiety and despair come to all of us at some point. Sometimes it's short-lived, but other times, like in a pandemic that prevents you from traveling and hugging and kissing and a million other things, a lot of us, four out of every ten of us, have run smack into a wall. Like exhaustion at the end of a race when your body can't go on any longer, depression and anxiety cannot simply be brushed aside. No simple optimism can drive these emotions away. 
For some of us to keep going, something more is required. And often what's needed is something extraordinary, an act of faith just to keep putting one foot in front of the other because all the paths before us wind their way through darkness. So how do we keep going? I guess I have to be honest and say I don't really know. But I know the answer for me is faith. Faith in the possibility of a new creation. Late in his life, the theologian Paul Tillich said, here and there in the world and now and then in ourselves is a new creation. Faith in a new creation isn't some Pollyanna-ish good cheer. Faith leaves room for doubt. It leaves room for doubt because certainty, as we are all aware, is never a guarantee. If you peddle in certainty, if you claim to know what God is doing in you or others, you really are just squeezing out the possibility for God to work, for faith to work, for surprise and joy. Many personal stories of faith wind their way through sometimes whole eras of doubt. The path to wholeness is fraught with peril. And even in wholeness, we'll find that there is still doubt. The Quaker writer Parker Palmer says, Wholeness is the goal, but wholeness does not mean perfection. It means embracing brokenness as an integral part of life. Our spiritual ancestors passed down to us the story of the Israelites who fled Egyptian captivity only to run straight into 40 years of wandering in doubt. It's been argued that one way to read the Bible is as a depiction of people and trauma and how they overcome it. And so the Israelites, as you recall in the book of Exodus, they're barely outside the walls of Egypt when the pains of thirst and hunger set in. And so they turn on their leader Moses and they tell him how lousy he is. And so rather than blow a gasket, Moses decides to climb a mountain to pray alone. And by the time he gets back, he's all excited to share his ten rules for how to live in community. And he finds that all the people who told him how much they loved him didn't waste any time at all abandoning him. They found new gods to worship, and I bet we'd be, pro- we'd be familiar with those gods even today. I'd make a bet the gods that they made promised to make hard things easy. Gods who don't rebuke you for being a jerk, for being self-righteous. Gods who let you scapegoat. So Moses can't help himself now. He's so mad, he smashes the ten rules on the ground. And if I may summarize, he turns to his community and says, Have faith. Be courageous. Even and especially in the face of fear. Maya Angelou said, I am convinced that courage is the most important of all the virtues. It is only with courage that you can be persistently and consistently kind and generous and fair. And that, dear friends, is my message for all of you today. Be kind and generous and fair. And of course, we should strive to be this way with others and in our dealings, but we have to be kind and generous with ourselves too. If you're not, if you beat yourself up because of what others say and think about you, if you let the actions of others crush your sense of integrity and purpose, if you let others or circumstances rob you of feeling God's presence and joy in the world, you are closing yourself off to the possibility 
of being whole. There are no shortcuts to wholeness, as the saying goes. You've got to wrap your arms around all that you are. You're self-righteous and also selfless, judgmental and forgiving, doubtful and curious, a coward and courageous. Admit to all that you are, accept all that you are, and recognize that within everyone is darkness as well as light. Wise teachers of every era say that when we're scared of something, when something is tearing us apart, we should resist the urge to run from it and instead be courageous and run towards it. On this topic, Fred Beekner said, if I were called upon to state in a few words the essence of everything I was trying to say both as a novelist and as a preacher, it would be something like this. Listen to your life. See it for the fathomless mystery that it is, and the boredom and pain of it, no less than in the excitement and gladness. Touch, taste, smell your way to the holy and hidden heart of it, because in the last analysis, all moments are key moments, and life itself is grace. The trouble is we get so wrapped up in our egos and let our minds spin with all those things that make us mad or anxious, and so we stop seeing the bigger picture. And we're all very good at this. We're so good at this, we can make bad things even worse. I mean, who among us hasn't had an experience in which the way we thought about the thing was actually worse than the thing itself? Our brains so naturally jump to conclusions, reaching for all those defense mechanisms that give us an easy out. It does this so we don't have to admit deep down we are broken in some ways and we're all searching for wholeness. When the going gets tough, our lizard brains kick in, and so we don't even pause long enough to think. Instead, we become angry, wedded to emotionality, rather than striving to become emotionally aware. The other day, I awoke in the middle of the night, which is my least favorite thing to have happen to me in the middle of the night, because that means my brain is going to walk me through every little thing I've done wrong or could have done better from yesterday, probably all the way back to the third grade. But rather than wrestle with myself trying to get back to sleep, this last time I said, to heck with this. And so I got up out of bed, I set the coffee going, and searched around for a guided meditation on living with fear that someone from here at this church shared with me a while back. The first thing the voice said was that being afraid or anxious or angry is normal. It's part of life. Accept it, the voice said. Don't try and push it away. Listen to what it has to say. Be open to learning from it. And then the voice told me to start feeling my hands. Are they cold or warm? Are they chapped from the cold? And then the voice told me to feel my feet, if they ached or felt ready to carry me through the day. It asked me to feel my chest and stomach, if they were tense or loose. And finally, the voice told me to feel my heart. And after a while, I realized I was out of my head and all those thoughts about yesterday to third grade, all that criticism, all that self-doubt, my fears, my distrust, faded away. 
I was just there with my breath and a beating heart. It made me remember a line from an essay I read by a pediatric surgeon named Joseph Dukowski. I've never forgotten it. He said, nobody can will their heart to beat even once. Every heartbeat is a gift from God. We get so caught up in our heads, our fears, our doubts, and anger, and when that happens, we risk losing the ability to be touched by the mystery of the world, by its power, by others, and by joy. Life doesn't have to be one way or the other, the Buddhist teacher Pima Chodron tells us. We don't have to jump back and forth. We can live with whatever comes, heartache and joy, success and failure, instability and change. There's no going back, the bishop said, and so we're going to need one another more than ever. We'll have to learn to share our lives. The path forward will be a dark one, but there's never been a shortcut to wholeness, and so we should prepare ourselves now for doubt. But even wholeness doesn't mean perfection. It means accepting our brokenness, all that we are, and everything. And if we can do it, and even if the only thing we can do is try, we might discover that here and there in the world and in ourselves is a new creation. And so we pray. And now, as long as space endures, as long as there are beings to be found, may I continue likewise to remain, to drive away the sorrows of the world. Amen. You can join in singing our closing hymn if you'd like now.
Randock Lovely once said, Let there be an offering to sustain and strengthen this place which is sacred to so many of us, a community of memory and of hope, for we are now the keepers of the dream. Dear friends, the mission and ministry of the First Universalist Unitarian Church is made possible entirely by the generous support of our members and friends. I encourage you to stop by our website and check out a way to make a one-time gift or a sustaining gift. I want to thank you in advance for your support. Please join in singing our doxology now. May the truth that sets us free and the hope that never dies and the love that cast out fear lead us forward together until the day spring breaks and all shadows flee away.